Page. Daily, right here on KFH. If you missed anything from the first hour, KFHradio.com, KU fans, we had a lot of Hawk talk in there on the win last night over Duke. We previewed the game against Texas with the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney. You can find it all, uh, again, on demand, KFHradio.com. We got a winner for our giveaway. Tommy, who was it? Who We got Ted from Wichita. Ted, congratulations, Ted, going to a Wichita Thunder game next Saturday after the Thanksgiving holiday getting a free iced tea at HTO on us here at Sports Daily. Happy to do that. Congrats. We'll do it uh, most days here on the program. All right. Some K-State news, Tommy, yesterday that we sort of expected. There is some you know, intricacy in the announcement yesterday from Chris Kleiman, and if you haven't seen it, it's that he clarified, because there's been some reporting, Adrian Martinez is not out for the season. He is out for next week, though, as they go to Morgantown. I think there's a large voice saying Will Howard deserves to be the starter either way. I tend to think having both guys is a best-case scenario for K-State. I, in fact, even think they could use both guys within the same game. But the reality of right now is this is Will Howard's team. The reality that we have made, you know, we've we've known for a while is that Adrian Martinez is not healthy, not completely ready to go. So hopefully this gives him the time to get ready to go so that they can use him potentially in a Big 12 title game, in a uh, bowl game, a big time bowl game even perhaps. Uh, we find out in the CFP rankings last night that uh, the committee values K-State as a three-loss team higher than any other three-loss team. So there's a lot on the line here. And this decision, uh, you know, it, maybe it was forced, maybe it wasn't. I think they were going to go with Will Howard either way. I hope, Tommy, that there's a way they can use both of these guys in the biggest games they'll have this year. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, this is a decision that um, clearly was made kind of both out of necessity and also just what we've seen on the field from both of these guys. Adrian Martinez, I feel like, has grown significantly from the start of the season to now, uh, where before we were having conversations about can he spread the ball around, can he throw it downfield, um, and I think he's been able to prove that he can do that, and he's also utilized his legs pretty well also, but He's clearly not 100%. He hasn't been 100% for a while. So out of necessity, here comes Will Howard. And all Will Howard has done is shown that he is a significantly better quarterback than what he was a season ago with Kansas State. So I don't really think that there is any kind of quarterback controversy here necessarily because of Adrian Martinez not being 100% healthy. If he was 100% healthy, I, I still don't necessarily think there's a controversy necessarily. I think it's more of just a conversation about which quarterback at the right time gives the Wildcats the best chance to win. That's a good problem to have, especially as they're in the hunt for a Big 12 championship. Uh, they, they've got the luxury of having both Adrian Martinez and Will Howard, both of who do different things. And if they're both healthy and ready to play down the stretch, then that's a good problem to have. Yeah, you know, it's 
I do think it's it's hard because Martinez has not like played himself out of the job by any no. means. Howard's played himself into it. And I and again, I think that they do different things to some degree that you can have packages. Adrian Martinez is a threat on the ground. That presents things to a defense that makes them have to change. If you can get both of those guys in some sort of rotation, I, I think there's value in that. And I normally am not a two-quarterback guy. Like, I don't normally like it. I think it's easier just to go. But but I think in this situation with these two guys, you can do it. Um, How would you do it? How would you utilize both staff. of them? Well, I would bring in Martinez in, in, in probably – I think I would do it in series, but I honestly, if these guys can handle it and the offense can pick it up, I think you could do it within just like you rotate players in. Because think about if you're a defense. Think about if you're ready to defend Will Howard, who, by the way, just to take you through his game-by-game -game stats, he's been against Baylor most recently. Maybe, you know, maybe was his best game. But he, he threw for 70% completion, three touchdowns, no picks. Um, you know, before that against Oklahoma State was, you know, the gaudiest game he had where he had almost 300 yards, four touchdowns, uh, but only threw it at about 56%. It's got to be higher than that in his other start against TCU, 65% completion. That was when he sort of opened our eyes a little bit. But he's been good enough. So just imagine Will Howard, the more traditional thrower of the football, in there for the majority of the game. But at any point in that game, here comes Adrian Martinez onto the field. Now, in some situations in a two-quarterback system, you might think, okay, you're bringing in the running quarterback. They're for sure going read option here. But that's not the case with Adrian Martinez, right? So if you're the defense now, you're, 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 you know, you're set up to defend Will Howard. Adrian Martinez trots onto the field for a play. Let's say it's just a play, but it may it could be even more than that. But he trots out there and now you're thinking, "Oh crap. Here comes read option, right? We got to we got to make sure we're defending this run. We we got to be ready to stop, you know, Martinez on the ground." But Martinez has shown us this year he's perfectly capable of taking shots. So now if you're a defense because you're prepared for Will Howard, you got now you have to prepare for both aspects of Adrian Martinez and what he can do. You can't sell out against the run because he can still beat you through the air on play action. And and I think it would just be very confusing for, especially at the college level, a defense to have to then adjust on the fly within a series to what each of those guys could do. So I like the idea of, you know, Will Howard comes in, he picks up a couple first downs. Maybe it's second down. Here comes Adrian Martinez, and the defense now has to decide. And you give Adrian Martinez a true read option, right? Hey, just read the defense, Adrian. If they give you a lane, take it. Run. If they don't, if they sell out, pull that thing back and throw it. And I think that that, to me, offensively sounds nauseating if I'm the opposing defense because the, the beauty for K-State here is they have two guys capable. We didn't know if they'd have one to start the season. Let's be fair to what's happened, you know, going in. We hoped Adrian Martinez would be able to fill in. We didn't really know after the first couple of games, and then he elevated his game big time, has been hurt. So then you got to go to Will Howard, who we all remember last year, and it's like, uh-oh. But now he's clearly elevated his game. Now you've got two guys. So not out of necessity, but out of strength of roster, use them both. I think you can do it. And, and I can't imagine being the other team trying to prepare that way to try and stop 
both of these guys within a single drive or a single series. Yeah, of course it's out of the question for this week. We know Adrian Martinez yeah, is no. not playing against I wouldn't West do Virginia, it until but... I wouldn't do it until a Big 12 championship game potentially, honestly. I don't know if I agree with you as far as drives are concerned. I feel like it's more about the way the game script has played out and and the way where Kansas State stands at any particular time. I go back to the game against Texas. The Wildcats fall behind. They give up 31 points in the first half. As much as Adrian Martinez has elevated his game this season, I'm not sure he's the quarterback that's going to be able to lead the Wildcats back from that kind of deficit. I think that's more of a Will Howard thing uh, that he can do. Sure. If you're yeah. playing more of a neck-and-neck game, then, yeah, I think that there's opportunities there for Adrian Martinez to run the football, use his legs, and then once the defense gets softened up by Adrian Martinez running and Deuce Vaughn running, then you can you know air it out with, with Martinez a little bit more. So I think it's more of what the defense is giving the Wildcats sure. and the way the game is playing out uh, and what the, what the scoreboard says at that point, as opposed to like, all right, we're going to script out this drive is Will Howard. This drive is Adrian Martinez. You know, that sort of thing. I think it's more about the game flow and where things stand at any given time. The problem and the unpredictable nature of this is we don't know if and when Martinez is going to get fully healthy. Credit to him in this season, which will be his last season of college football. He keeps trying, and he keeps having to come out of the game, and that's hard, too. Um, so it will be probably, and this will be a good test for Will Howard, too. No unquestioned, hey, you're going to be the guy in this game. Everybody knows it. You know it. The team knows it. We're going to have to just shut Martinez down because he's just not right physically. Um, so, you know, part one of the equation is getting him right physically. Whether or not that can happen, I have no idea. Uh, because the they're not going to tell too, us that. The other thing, too, that I think is really interesting in this discussion, and I, I'd love to get your thoughts on this. I'm not sure I remember another time, not just for Kansas State, but in general in college football, where you've got not just one, but two quarterbacks who have significantly changed the perception of themselves at pretty much the same time in the same season on the same team. Adrian Martinez and Will Howard, both of them, they both had kind of negative perceptions coming in. We saw what Martinez did uh, during his time at Nebraska. It wasn't always very good. He was, you know, billed as kind of this turnover machine and, you know, at best maybe a game manager. And then, of course, we all know what Will Howard did a year ago. Both of them, I feel like, have changed the perception of them by the fan base and just college football in general this season. It's kind of remarkable. I, I don't mean this as hyperbole, but right now, outside of probably Alabama, I'm not sure and this is a this is a quick shot because you just asked it and i and i could very well be forgetting somebody so i that that that's possible here i'll fully admit that but outside of alabama and i don't again i don't mean this as hyperbole this isn't reactionary i'm not sure there's a better place right now than kansas state of developing quarterbacks based on what we've seen the last two seasons look at the growth of skylar thompson last year just think about that for a second skylar thompson went as a young, experienced guy who really had to run the ball. I'll never forget, because I went recreationally to the game against OU last year at the Bill, and I'm sitting there watching that game, thinking, Skylar Thompson looks different to me right now. He is throwing the ball that we see pro-type quarterbacks throw the ball. Like, what is this? And it continued. And he became a pro, and he was the preseason MVP, and all of these things happened for Skylar Thompson. 
who you would have never— Skylar Thompson was a great college football player, don't get me wrong, but nobody ever thought of him as a pro, and he, he became that all of a sudden. I, I think kind of, kind of, it's way too early, but I think Will Howard's got a chance to do the same thing. Think about what Adrian Martinez was at Nebraska versus what we saw when he was healthy this year. And so I don't say it tongue-in-cheek at all when I say I'm not sure there is a better developmental spot for quarterbacks right now, again, outside of Alabama, in the country than what Kleiman and Klein are doing for quarterbacks. It it really makes you salivate at the thought of what could happen for this program if that continues. They're going to have an Avery Johnson as highly touted a quarterback coming in as probably they've ever had. He's at least in the conversation. And seeing his just raw talent now and knowing what they've done with some of these other quarterbacks, I mean, eyes are huge right now to what could happen there if K-State becomes this quarterback factory that it appears to be at this moment right now. Man, how awesome is that to think about for the future of this program? Because if you can develop quarterbacks and bring them in, the rest will come. If I'm a receiver at a high level, well, yeah, I want to go play with that guy. If I'm a running back that doesn't want teams to put eight guys in the box against me every week, yeah, I'm going to come play with that. I mean, the possibilities are endless if they can keep doing this, and you know they're using it on the recruiting trail. And these high school players that are really high level are being coached well and understand what's out there and the importance of getting to the right place. Sky's the limit at K-State right now as far as the quarterback position goes. Yeah, listen, it wasn't that long ago that, I mean, we're talking weeks where I think if you pulled the Kansas State fan base, they would say they had legitimate concerns about all the quarterbacks on the roster and that they were waiting for Avery Johnson to come in and, hey, let's just get through this season because Adrian Martinez, you know, might be a game manager at best. He's mediocre. uh, And then we don't even want to think about Will Howard getting snaps. Now look at where we're at. I mean, just a few weeks later, it's it's crazy. And I think that also that gives Avery Johnson the ability to develop and you don't yep. have to rush him into the starting role necessarily because you know you feel confident in what Will Howard can bring to the table next season. So this is a, a short-term uh, positive. It's also a long-term positive for the Wildcats. And it's not just Chris Kleiman. We know his reputation in developing quarterbacks, but hat tip to Colin Klein, man. I mean, you know, He was a Heisman candidate at Kansas State, super dynamic athlete, and what he's been able to do in not only play calling, and and when he took over the play calling initially, I remember there were complaints about what he was doing, and it wasn't, you know, I think he had some growing pains in that role, but he's, he's grown as a play caller. He's also great at developing quarterbacks because he was one in that same system, Uh, and so, yeah, I think the sky is the limit for the quarterback play at Kansas State, not just now, but in the future, too. Well, what's cool, too, about Colin Klein, and again, I don't know the intricacies of how much Colin Klein does and how much Chris Kleiman does with these guys, but as far as Klein, think about the stylistic differences between he and Will Howard, right? Like Adrian Martinez, Skylar Thompson, you can see some similarities because we know Colin Klein was so explosive as an athlete and as a runner, but I'm not sure he he was the kind of passer Will Howard can be. And so it's not just like, okay, Colin Klein knows how to coach quarterbacks that fit the mold that he was, which was, you know, a Heisman candidate. No, he can, Will Howard's a pocket passer and he's getting coached up and, and a lot. And, you know, Kleiman has coached up pocket passers, right? We've seen it before. I just, 
Avery Johnson is the kind of prospect that could force his way onto the field. Absolutely possible. But I'm with you, and I'm saying next year. I'm with you in that there won't be pressure to do that, and that's a good thing. Because, you know, getting acclimated, getting size, all those things, getting into the weight program, those are going to be important for Avery Johnson. Kind of athlete that may just, you you can't keep him off the field, totally possible. That's fine. I don't think that affects Will Howard's long-term prospects either, by the way, if something like that happened. But Will Howard takes so much pressure off of everything. And it's not just that now. Because this year, it felt like Adrian Martinez needed to just fill a void, take the pressure off, do the thing. No, I think now we're to the point where next year with Will Howard, it's going to be K-State's a contender because Will Howard's really good. Now, again, our sample size is relatively small in the new Will Howard. So we've seen enough both directions on Will Howard that I love now we get the opportunity for him to play it out for a little bit and really solidify and reassure everybody that, hey, what you've seen the last three games from me, that's me now. And and if that's the case, K-State's, they're going to win a bunch of games this year, they're going to win a bunch of games next year, and they're going to win a bunch of games when Avery Johnson gets there. Yeah, and here's what changes. As the talent level grows, and I'm talking about next season, the expectations grow naturally oh, as well. And so the sample size will be larger. Kansas State is not that far away from potentially playing for the college football playoff. And I think that the more that they go this season, and if they win a Big 12 title, and they're right on the outside of the college football playoff, you better believe those will be the expectations for Will Howard next year. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I think the future is bright. Man, you wish Dylan Edwards would have uh, not been lured away by Notre Dame. Uh, that I just, yeah, the future is bright. You, you're right on about that. I, the fact that we're going to add college football at this level, potentially from two programs to the mix that we've always had with college basketball, bring it on for me. All right, let's talk some Royals baseball next. Big announcement. Um, I, I guess maybe there was some more surprise. I was not that surprised at it yesterday but i think a lot of people were we'll discuss it why that exists and what's coming down the road for the royals when we return on sports daily Welcome back, everybody. Sports Daily on KFH. Jake Paul, Brock, Tommy Caster. Uh, Royals' big news yesterday, and it is not that uh, they signed Ryan O'Hearn, which has the analytics bros up in arms, Tommy, that Ryan O'Hearn is coming back. Uh, People are so mad. Uh, this new era of Royals baseball, and they bring back O'Hearn. I'm fine with it. He's a bench piece. He's been a he's been a fine bench hitter. I'm not gonna overreact to something like that. Uh, but the bigger news yesterday, obviously, the announcement, basically that they're done with Kaufman as soon as possible. Um, the lease with the county ends at the end of this decade. I think there's about a zero percent chance that they run out that lease because they're proposing staying within the county there. As long as they stay within the county, I think they can 
they can make that transition happen as fast as they can. Uh, they're going to move downtown. We get some clarity in that they have the intent to stay in the county. We get some clarity that it will be a mix of private and public dollars, but the assurance, at least from John Sherman yesterday, that it won't be any more public dollars than what are currently being used within the county. So that's that's good news, I think, for taxpayers there. I think we're we're beginning to see some trends, Tommy, away from these franchises holding public dollars hostage in these kinds of deals because I think in a lot of cases these ownerships see the value in just outright owning some of this real estate in downtown, quite frankly. Like if I'm the team, I'd rather just own the land. We saw that with the new L.A. stadium. We saw that with the new Denver stuff that's happening in the NFL. They just they just fund it all themselves because they want to own the land and own all the facilities and build around it. So I would guess that's what's going to happen here. And I can't imagine there's anybody that isn't excited about this that's a Royals fan. As much as everybody, you know, we're nostalgic about Kaufman, that's fine. It's just not the experience you need to have in the modern day of professional sports. Heck, uh, it happened in Wichita, too, with Riverfront Stadium. Like, the, this right. whole private, you know, development of, of land and uh, everything around the stadium. I mean, this is nothing new. And, and now Kansas City is, uh, the Royals are jumping on this bandwagon, too. John Sherman has been pretty open about his desire for a downtown ballpark. Um, I wasn't surprised about the announcement. I was just surprised that it's happening so quickly. Not necessarily the the building and all of that, but just the announcement of just, hey, this is what we're going to do, and artist renderings and all of that. As far as nostalgia with, with Kaufman, um, I've gone to a lot of Royals games. Uh, I've gone to the Truman Sports Complex a lot. I don't have a ton of nostalgia about Kaufman. I do about Arrowhead, but I don't have a ton of nostalgia about the K. Um, and I don't really know why that is. Um, and I feel like this is a, a, a gross overgeneralization when I say this. I, I know that there are exceptions to this. But to your point, I can't imagine that the lion's share of Royals fans feel about Kaufman the way that Cubs fans feel about Wrigley or Red Sox fans feel about Fenway. Like it's a different kind of scenario. Um, I think that people enjoy Kaufman. I think most people think that the K is fine. I think it's fine. It's not a bad ballpark. Uh, the renovations helped out quite a bit when they did those, what, 10, 15 years ago. Uh, but I, I don't think that overall this is a major issue. Um, and I think really ultimately it comes down to the fact that there's nothing really around Kaufman Stadium. I tweeted this yesterday. Um, I'm going to miss leaving Kaufman and getting lost on my way out of the area that's funny. and ending up down a street with like a bunch of abandoned mechanic shops. Like that's kind of what is right around Truman. It's going to be cool to have a downtown ballpark where you've got shops and restaurants and hotels and, and all of that, the whole kind of baseball village, which has become the norm now, um, I think will end up being really cool. Yeah, I, that's a great joke because I feel the same way. Um, when I first came here, so I got here in the summer of 14 and sort of got on the Royals beat immediately, which was unexpected for everybody, including me. Um, and the first couple of times I'd go to Kaufman, especially if they were overnight trips, I would leave and I'm like, all right, I want to go get some food. Like I'm off work. Yeah. I want to go grab some food. I want to grab a beer. There was nowhere to go. Nothing out like, there. And nothing was open. Nothing was close. And I'm like, what is this? Like, this can't be right. Like, what do people do when they leave the ball game here? 
I felt like I had taken like a a wrong left turn and I ended up down a street that I'm like, I probably have no business being down this road. I don't know where I am. I'm not, I feel like I literally just left the ballpark, you know, 30 seconds ago and I have no idea where I'm at right now. So yeah, it's a a problem. Yeah, Yeah, it, it, it really is. And I feel like the fact that there hasn't been a ton of development around the complex, you know, that, that I think makes it even more so like John Sherman you you have to imagine goes out to the complex and thinks man we're leaving a boatload of money on the table every single time there is a game here because people are getting in their cars and they're leaving and they're going home and we're not keeping them in this area we're not we're not forcing them to spend their dollars in this area they're leaving and going elsewhere and so um from a business perspective i absolutely understand where john sherman is coming from I do too. It, it needs to happen. It's the right thing to do. It's the way you advance this franchise. It's good for the city of Kansas City, which is trying to establish itself as a major hub, right? It, it makes sense everywhere. It's always how is it funded. It sounds like Sherman has a decent grasp of the complicated um, nature of these things. within the. I, I think the reason, back to your original point of why now, I think the reason is they probably decided – of all their options, they're staying in the county. And because they're staying in the same county, it gets a little less complicated with that lease. Would This is a total speculation and me using context clues here. So don't take this for like fact or anything like that. But just as, as we look at these things, my guess is they had a variety of options. They honed in on the option of staying within the county. And when they stayed within the county – they envision a much clearer and easier path to get out of the Kaufman lease. That would be my guess as to why now. And that's why I say I feel like there's about a 0% chance that they'll run the current lease out through the end of the decade. I would bet that we see Royals baseball in downtown Kansas City within the next four seasons. I think it'll happen fast. Wow, that that quick. I feel like how many how many small market teams, not just in baseball, but in, in major league sports in general, small market teams – there's a constant conversation about will that team relocate? Uh, it's happening right now with Oakland in baseball. Uh, are they going to go to Vegas? What is that going to look like? Uh, that conversation happens all the time. Tampa Bay has had those conversations in the past. Um, it happens pretty frequently. And a lot of times those conversations are driven by facilities and stadium deals. And so even if you are nostalgic about Kaufman, and I, I get it. I understand if you are. I understand that that's where the World Series titles were were won for the Royals uh, in 2015 and then in 1985. I get it. I understand that, that you are, you know, waxing poetic about what Kauffman Stadium brought to the table. In the name of progress and in the name of solidifying that your team stays in Kansas City, this is absolutely the right way to go. Because you have an owner that is saying, I'm committed to Kansas City but I want a downtown ballpark and I'm going to try to make it happen without raising your taxes. That should be a slam dunk because otherwise, and I'm not suggesting that John Sherman is threatened this, but otherwise we've seen owners all the time who are discontented with their current stadium and threatened to move elsewhere. So I feel like in the name of progress and in the name of stability for this franchise moving forward, a downtown ballpark is absolutely the way to go. It, there's no question about that. I don't know what it means for the Chiefs because the Chiefs don't face the same yeah. – because of the nature of the NFL and the nature of tailgating and all those things, you're not as 
disappointed when you go to a Chiefs game as far as what you do outside the game because tailgating is such a part of the experience, right? So it's not – you don't face those same things we just talked about with the deficiencies of the Truman Sports Complex and where it is and what's around it when you go to a Chiefs game because probably your goal is going to be to tailgate anyway. That's not the case with baseball. You want something to do before and after the game. So I think that maybe there will be some resistance to breaking the two apart from each other. I I don't know that, though, because I'm not from here, right? And I don't have the deep-rooted nostalgia to the Truman Sports Complex in general. It's cool that they're in the same parking lot. But I don't think that's going to factor into anything. I don't really. I think there's still a decent chance that the Chiefs explore coming over to to the Kansas side, and I think that the state of Kansas is going to be very aggressive with that. Um, but I think that we'll see them break up. Basically, I, I don't think that they're going to. There there won't be a marriage anymore of them, and that's okay. I don't know how much people care about that, Tommy, but that's going to be gone. Like the, the Royals are going to go downtown, and that will have nothing to do to me with what the Chiefs end up doing. Yeah, the the two franchises, especially over the last several years, they've been apples and oranges uh, with the the strategies that they implement, the way they spend money. Um, I mean, look at the payroll for the Chiefs compared to the payroll for the Royals. Uh, it's it's night and day different. Uh, but how about Kansas City having the the Royals having an owner that is actually willing to spend money now? And it might be on a stadium deal, uh, but he's willing to spend money. Uh, and, and so I feel like that is, that's something that, yeah, it might necessitate a breakup. Um, it might mean leaving the nostalgia of Kauffman Stadium. Um, I, I feel like the one thing that has not been discussed a whole lot in this that I think is going to be essential for both the Royals and the Chiefs in the future, keep in mind, the state of Missouri still has not legalized sports wagering. And that's something that I, I think has become a major hot button issue in that state and with those professional sports franchises. We've talked about the Chiefs quite a bit and what happens to them uh, if and when the Royals move downtown. I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past the Chiefs to consider a site in Kansas if Missouri can't get on board with sports wagering. I think it's as simple as that. Well, that's a piece for the Chiefs. It's not a piece for the Royals. Correct. Um, but it's a piece for the Chiefs, for sure. And I said that, look, I speculated on this show that, and I was right. Some people thought I was crazy. When the Chiefs floated <laughs> out the idea that they would consider the state of Kansas, I told you that the state of Kansas is about to strap a rocket to sports wagering and push it through in record time. And that's exactly what they did. And there's there's a very good reason for that. And I applaud our state legislature for coming together on that at a bipartisan level, which is hard to do these days, to doing it because that was a way to strengthen your pitch to the Chiefs. And for the state of Kansas, you do everything you can to get the Chiefs over here. This is an interesting thing, too, Tommy, because when we're talking about public and private dollars to build these stadiums and the complications and the intricacies of that, I would be willing to support the state of Kansas doing it because, honestly, now, if the Chiefs came over, your number one export as a state, in theory, becomes an NFL football team. Kansas is not other states. You know, other states can have NFL and other things. 
really, I mean, think about that. If the Chiefs came over, that's in the conversation for your greatest export as a state, right? Would be would be NFL football. Yeah, the Chiefs become the bell cow in that situation. Think about uh, Wisconsin I think we're, and Green Bay, similar, yeah, right? Green exactly. Bay, Wisconsin. We're, we're a ways away from that being the case uh, for, it may for not the Chiefs, happen. but but at least yeah. we know what the Royals are planning on doing. Uh, and I think that in the long term, it makes crazy sense. It makes total sense to do this from a long-term perspective for the viability of the franchise. It is an exciting announcement, I think, for Royals baseball because the other part of this is on the field. When when ownership groups build these stadiums and do these things, they're usually pot committed to put a really good product on the field out of the gates, and that means they may be willing to spend a little money on the players on the roster. Uh, they're trying to develop some. Maybe it means for this team that they're able to re-sign and keep some of these young stars long-term. We'll take a quick break. 869-1240 is the number to call. We'll come back. More Sports Daily after this. So did you see this Antonio Brown sharing an alleged text message from Tom Brady in 2021, Tommy? Uh, I heard about it. I did not actually read it. I, I, okay, so I'm going to read it. I'm just seeing this during the break. Uh, here's, here's what comes from Tom Brady, according to Antonio Brown. Uh, quote, you're demonstrating very poor decisions and poor communication to so many people who have gone above and beyond to help you. You're acting selfish, and unfortunately, many of those people are exhausted by the erratic and unpredictable emotional behavior. When I met you, you were humble, willing to learn, and anxious to improve things in your life. In a short period of time, you've done those things and accomplished some great things and very much on the path to success long term. Unfortunately, you've reverted very much back to a young, immature man that's selfish, self-serving, irrational, and irresponsible. I, for one, am disappointed in many behaviors over the past few months. You've seemed to have lost that humility and that APG. I don't know what APG is. I hope that's not something <laughs> inappropriate. Uh, you've gone from hanging around good quality people uh, that are had genuine interest in seeing you succeed to seeing others whose lives are erratic and out of control leading you down a negative path. So... Look, I don't know if that's Antonio Brown trying to justify some of the silly things he's done since Tom Brady has gone through some things in his personal life. Um, but it does, it, like, I would appreciate that as a friend, somebody calling me out if I was being a, an idiot, which Antonio Brown has been an idiot plenty of times in his career. Um, I, I think that's going to backfire on Antonio Brown. I don't think anybody's going to sit there and say, oh, that big jerk Tom Brady. No, that's that's a friend holding you accountable is what that is. Yeah, it's difficult for me to uh, always defend Tom Brady because of how perfect he's been all the time. But I find myself wanting to defend him in this matter. 
Um, he stuck his neck out for Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown went and lived with him for a while uh, when when he wanted them to play on the same team. Uh, vouched for him, got him jobs. I think that that obviously a lot of that had to do with the the skills and the talent that Antonio brought to the table at that time. Um, but yeah, Tom Brady went out went above and beyond uh, to to try to bring in Antonio Brown, who had a reputation of being somebody that was bad in the locker room, that was a cancer to the culture, that was toxic. Uh, he already had that reputation for the multiple teams he had played for, and the thought process at the time was that, hey, with the maturity and the leadership that Tom Brady brings to the table, that will help, and that will help bring Antonio Brown to a place where he's a productive member of a team. And it happened for a while, and then it didn't because – when people tell you who they are, you ought to believe them. And uh, that's just the way that it went with Antonio Brown. And, and the antics that Brown has had um, with with all the speculation earlier with Tom Brady and Giselle and their divorce and the things that he was sharing on social media, completely inappropriate, completely uncalled for. Uh, and this is just another step in that. It's sad. Uh, it's sad for Antonio Brown that he's gotten to this point. It's also sad for Tom Brady because that's one thing that he shouldn't have to be dealing with right now. Yeah, it's um, it's just it's, I don't I don't get it. I it, I, I whatever. I don't want to speculate on what's going on with Antonio Brown medically, but it's, it's just it's very strange. Um, and there's absolutely zero accountability, and I don't think that's anything medical. I think that's just being immature. Uh, dude just refuses to take any responsibility for the things that have happened over his career, which is, it's something. Uh, it's something. Uh, another piece of news here real quick. The Denver Broncos uh, have a lot of injuries here. According to The Athletic, Aaron Patrick, linebacker, has sued the NFL, uh, the Los Angeles Rams, and the Los Angeles Chargers, SoFi Stadium, ESPN. He tore his ACL in week six, and he alleges that negligence created a dangerous sideline condition that contributed to that injury. Um this is interesting. I, is this? I'm trying to remember. This is he. He was trying to get out of the way of basically a worker, and and then he had his injury, partly perhaps because of that. But now a lawsuit, and I think he'll Tommy probably win that. And I don't know what that means long term. I also don't know what he's asking for, but. You know, if he was injured because of of you know something like that, he probably has a pretty good case here. This is going to get interesting potentially. Yeah, I wonder what the involvement uh, from the union is on this, right? Because you know, a lot of times these players and and the union like they're working together hand in hand uh, on player safety issues and, and that sort of thing. So um, I don't know. This is the first time I'm hearing about this, but if if there truly was a situation where he was injured due to the negligence of a worker or something at the stadium. Uh, yeah, that's not a good look. I don't know that it was intentional negligence. I mean, I'm not, you know, I don't, I, and I'd have to go back and even look at the play, but for somebody that's been on so many sidelines over the years, uh, I mean, there's plenty of camera guys that have lost ACLs to these situations too. I just, I just wonder, because lawsuits, everybody's afraid of lawsuits, right? Um, especially people with a lot of money. And I wonder if something like this is going to force some protocol changes. I don't know. This is I, I can't remember anything like this happening. I could be wrong about that. But it it could be something that has some interest to us, uh, especially in what, you know, what to do for a living or whatever, but uh, maybe to the general public as well. We'll come back. We'll wrap up this edition of Sports Daily. We'll tell you what's on tap. 869-1240, always the number to call. Put it in your speed dial. You can catch us tomorrow 
We'll be right back. I'm just trying.